Welcome to Carve Your Own Fucking Path podcast, a podcast about kick-ass women who found the clarity and courage to live life on their own terms. I'm Willow McDonough, your host, life and success coach, and certified NLP practitioner. You'll hear candid interviews with women who have boldly stepped into the unknown. My mission for this podcast is to inspire your inner risk taker to get out of your head and into your heart so you can start taking action today towards creating a life you are freaking proud of. I'm so excited to have you here. You guys are in for a treat. I can't wait to share this next episode because Prue Chapman, she is living proof that switching from a scarcity to an abundance mindset truly is the core of creating a wildly successful business and an abundant life. So she spent about a decade brainwashing herself, as she calls it, to rewrite her own scarcity story growing up in a really small town in Australia without running water. She shares her story and having mentored over 15,000 startups in her career, Prue says that most entrepreneurs and people that she meets have a scarcity mindset. It's the fear that there's just not enough money to go around. Prue is such an inspiration, an absolute living proof that you can carve your own path and make your wildest dreams a reality when you listen to your intuition and change your mindset. All right, let's meet Prue Chapman. I can't wait to dive in and hear some of your adventures, but also as a multi-passionate businesswoman and living out of a van at the same time. So really carving your own fucking path in so many ways. So thank you for joining. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's um, interestingly, I'm uh, beaming out to you from the van right now. I'm actually, I'm home at the moment. So I'm home. I live, I live actually in a place called Lennox Head, which is just outside of Byron Bay in Australia. Mm-hmm. But what I find, and it's, it's really cool. We live in a, I mean, it is a log cabin on the beach. It's really cute. Amazing. Um, but I am in the van because the van actually doubles up as an incredible sound studio a soundproof studio to do podcast recordings so um this is actually yeah coming at you out of the van and yeah thanks so much for having me i'm excited to to dive in and see what see what goodness comes out yes me too and you do have two podcasts yourself i do have two so. podcasts i'm so greedy like that um <laughs> I have. So the podcast, my the first podcast that I launched, which was just over a year ago, actually, uh, it's called One Wild Ride. And that was really, I really wanted a creative project because I've been coaching and mentoring for, you know, quite a few years now. And I kind of, you know, I've wrapped my head around that and I run programs and that's super fun, but I just really wanted a creative outlet for myself. And Mm -hmm. so, and also an excuse to talk to some pretty cool people. So I launched (laughs) One Wild Ride, having no idea what I was doing as per usual. And it has just been the most joyous ride, to be honest, the people that I've been able to speak to and the conversations that I've been able to have. And someone's very focused on good business. So Mm -hmm. good business, positive impact and epic adventures. So it's a really fun place to play. And then more recently, just actually at the start of when COVID kind of hit, it was around that time I launched a second podcast, which is my owner's collective podcast, which is a bit more of a how-to businessy kind of podcast. 
as a creative project, I didn't want to put too much pressure on it. And I think this is kind of something when people want to launch something or want to make a big change in their life, there's so much pressure on it. And I think Mm -hmm. it's so much, it's so freeing when you can just experiment with different things. And that's, I really wanted to treat it like an experiment. So my friends were my guinea pigs. And if any of them are listening, I want to say a big thank you straight away (laughs) to them. Um, But then from there, I really kind of got my confidence up and then I just reached out to founders of brands that I found really inspirational. I think the mission of the podcast to really highlight good business has spoken to the right kind of people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think also having a background in psychology, um, people are confident enough to share their stories with me. And that's been one of the real pleasures of the One Wild Ride podcast is that quite often with this storytelling component, it's the first time that these founders have told their story in a lot of cases. Yeah. And so that's been something that's been really unexpected, but a real joy. Okay. So you mentioned psychology. Take us back to your early days and just give us a snapshot of what path did you think that you would be taking and what, what were you inspired by back then? Mm, great question. So um, ah, it's an interesting one. When I was in my kind of later teens, I was hanging out with a crowd that was pretty into drugs and alcohol, I've got to say, and a bunch of my friends had drug-induced psychosis. Now, this was a really interesting thing. Yeah, it was really heavy at the time. And I remember going and visiting them in the mental institution basically and they were really medicated like just so medicated they couldn't string a sentence together and I just remember thinking I've got to do something about this I really I want to be powerful in the change for this and so back then somewhat naively I thought you know people with psychiatric conditions they don't need uh, they don't need medication they need more counseling and so that really made my decision to go into psychology And so I very famously, when I was going to university, wanted to study psychology. And I said, you know, I'd be happy to do anything, but the last thing I'd ever do would be business. Mm. So, I mean, full circle, right? But so I went in and I did psychology. I ended up doing um, a thesis and all sorts of things. And it was really interesting because that theme, you know, a few of my friends, close friends actually stayed in that mental institution for a while. And what was really interesting is when I was writing my thesis, I was based at that same institution. And then I picked up a part-time job working for another one of the researchers. So basically my study, my work, my thesis, and some of my friends were all in the same place, but behind different walls. So it was a really... It was a wild few years, I've got to say, like those late teens and early 20s. And so Mm -hmm. I did that, I completed that, and then I went... I took a year off and went traveling and had a lot of fun. And then I came back and bought a van, my first van. It was Toyota Hiace, drove up the East coast of Australia and decided eventually to get my first full-time job as a psychologist. So I went in as an intern psychologist and it was really, it was interesting work. It was fascinating work. It was powerful work. But after a few years, I just realized that it wasn't for me. Mm. And I think the reason for that is that 
I just, I found myself on the wrong end of health. So I was dealing with people when they were already broken. And Mm -hmm. I think people that do that kind of work, they're such incredible humans. And like I said, the work is really powerful, but it wasn't where I felt my most powerful. And I knew that I wanted to be on the other side of health. And at the time, coaching didn't really exist. I'm kind of Mm -hmm. talking like 15 years ago. And here in Australia, coaching wasn't a thing at all. Right. And so... I left psychology and I went over to the UK and I just did everything over there. I just gave myself this permission to experiment and I just jumped around from place to place. I worked in a situation that was like the Wolf of Wall Street and then I went to work in charities and HR firms and hospitals and all different places. And while I was over there, I was having a great time and I came back to Australia to renew my visa and I met my partner Mm. and I was supposed to only be here in Australia for 10 days, but I met him and, you know, it was kind of coming into the English winter and the Australian summer. And I thought I might just hang around and my visa actually got delayed. So I hung around for a little while and, you know, we ended up agreeing that this was something that we should, um, you know, give a shot and see if it worked. And so at that time, when I came back to Australia, I had to decide whether to re-register myself as a psychologist or whether basically to carve my own fucking path. Mm -hmm. And I chose the latter. And, you know, for a while that looked like a really shitty time for me, to be honest. Like Mm. I didn't know who I I was in my 28th year. And if anyone knows about that, it's this beautiful thing called Saturn returns, which is just going to fuck everything. Oh yeah. And so I was in my Saturn (laughs) returns. All of a sudden I was starting at ground zero from a career. I had no idea what I was doing. I was earning no money. I had no money, but you know, I was just willing to kind of follow my heart and follow my gut on what felt good. And, you know, eventually that led me into coaching and, you know, I was doing personal coaching and then leadership coaching and then some executive coaching and eventually into business coaching. So it was a very long answer to your question, but my path definitely wasn't a linear one. And I think the common thread really was just following what felt good at Mm -hmm. the time um, and definitely being prepared to do the work that goes with it. But really my kind of guiding force has been to, to follow the feeling and you know what, not to be afraid of the unknown, like, Mm -hmm. you know, to kind of get comfortable with uncertainty and having a willingness to take big risks. I think that's, yeah, been a big thread throughout. Definitely. And when you say you have a feeling, what is your belief around that, that it's, a subconscious um, knowing? Yeah, this feeling, I mean, it's, it's an inner knowing. I mean, you can call it an intuition, I guess, as mm-hmm. well. You can call it kind of, you know, is it fate? Is it free will? There's so many things that play into it. But yeah, and, and inner knowing, I think that that is actually the best, a gut feeling or an inner knowing is the best way that I can describe it. Mm-hmm. I hear this question a lot about how do I tap into my intuition? Yeah, great question. So, The thing that I think is the most powerful to do is to switch off your brain. And Mm -hmm. everyone has a different way of doing that. For me, walking is a really powerful way to switch off my brain. So I think so many of us are so caught up in our head that we actually need to get in body. And Mm -hmm. so for me, 
that is one of the most powerful ways. So for example, when I was living in London, I walked the Camino de Santiago because I just knew that I was so tapped out of myself and to get back into myself, I just need to take a really long walk in the country. So six weeks seemed like an adequate wow. time to be working, for, <laughs> walking for to get myself back into tune. But I still walk really frequently. Like every day I walk for at least an hour. I think meditation oh, wow. is incredibly powerful as mm-hmm. well. Um, surfing, I'm sitting here in my van next to my longboard. I think anything that is going to switch your mind off and get you into the present moment, it's kind of quietening your mind. And so when we say quietening, quietening the mind, um, a lot of people just think meditation and that can seem really daunting, but you can quiet your mind in many different ways. And I think movement is a really powerful way of doing that as well. And then once you do, once you are able to quieten your mind, actually lap swimming is another thing that people do. One of my great friends, KJ, does it all the time to lap swim, to hear her intuition. She's incredibly intuitive. And once you do quieten your mind, you will get a sense of what the thing is to do. And it might not make any sense whatsoever. And simultaneously, it will probably only be the one next step. So, so many of us want the 40 point plan that's all dialed out, but in actual fact, you're only going to hear what that next step is. And sometimes that next step might sound like go surfing, just, just go surfing. Mm -hmm. Like me lately, I've been having taken this mini sabbatical for a couple of months and like my only kind of intuition or gut feeling at the moment is garden. Just like Mm -hmm. get your hands in the dirt, be barefoot, get your hands in the dirt, grow things, just be completely present in the garden. And so I've just been gardening like a mofo, but it's so good because it's getting me really grounded. And then it's through that, that it's when I'm gardening that I hear the next step or I feel the little excitement about doing something or, you know, I feel like, oh yeah, that person just popped into my mind. I should reach out to them. And then that leads to another thing. So it's kind of... Yeah. You sort of hear people say, follow the breadcrumbs. That's the kind of sense Mm. that it is. And so in in moments when you're unsure, is that what you would do is just quiet the mind by movement, simplifying? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So for me, um, meditation, I do Vedic meditation. So meditation is a super powerful tool for me. Um, And then I think I should add to that when I become overwhelmed, because obviously I run a company, there's, there's a lot to be overwhelmed about. I start, I strip everything back. So, you know, what can I actually park? What can I delegate? What can I delete mm-hmm. and get rid of as many things kind of like on my to-do list or that are bothering me as possible. And then I will meditate. And then through meditation, it, it would, it's very uh, unusual that I wouldn't have some form of clarity coming out of a meditation. Okay. And you do that daily, two times a day, Mostly, I'd like for all the Vedic Vedic (laughs) listeners in, I'd like to say I do it two times a day. When I'm really in my groove, I do it twice a day. At the moment, I've been gardening so much, I actually haven't Hmm. felt like I wanted to meditate twice a day. So, you know, I've been Mm -hmm. getting one a day in. So again, it's kind of listening to what's good for me and also trusting that I know what's best for me. And Mm -hmm. I think that's what a lot of people are really disconnected from is from trusting themselves. So even though something might feel crazy or seem crazy or it doesn't make logical sense, if that's what feels good to you, then roll with that. And when I say that, a little disclaimer, it's like, well, sitting on the couch, eating Doritos and watching Netflix, you might think, oh, that feels kind of good. 
that's not going to feel good for very long. Like you might think, okay, that's going to give me a bit of downtime for like a couple of hours. It's not really going to feel good in the long term. But going for a big long hike through nature and drinking clean water and taking care of yourself, that's going to feel good. Mm -hmm, Definitely. And so moments of clarity, I talk about this a lot, where there's either an aha moment or bits of clarity along the way. Would you say that meditation is where you've had most of those moments? Mm, Good question. I think to be honest, yes, I would say lately, yes, because I've been really dedicated to my meditation practice for about 18 months. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think whatever I'm doing to consciously still my mind, that's where I'll find my clarity. So Mm -hmm. like I said, sometimes it's got like for the past few months, it's been gardening. Sometimes it's hiking. Sometimes it's just sitting quietly and staring out a window Um, so yeah, I think any process of stealing the mind is going to, that, that clarity will come with that. Mm -hmm. Okay. And you no no, jumping back, I guess, to your, your experience with startups, you've helped Mm -hmm. over 13,000 startups, which blows my mind, (laughs) um, (laughs) coming from, you know, psychology and then going into business. Can you talk about what it is about startups that really kind of draws you in? Mm. you know what it's like the title of this podcast right carving your own fucking path that's mm-hmm. that's what I get giddy on mm. um I I love to see potential I think I have a real knack for seeing potential and finding sweet spots and then being able to commercialize them and I just I just love seeing people like take life by the reins and really make it what they want to make of it and you know, part of this journey has been my own. And now it's one that I share with those startups and scale-ups that I work with. And, you know, that is that anything is possible Mm -hmm. and it can take a lifetime to get your head around that. You know, we are so stuck in our stories and our conditioning and our patterning from our past. And yet when we really start to peel back those layers and really come to the realization that absolutely anything is possible I think then life just becomes wildly wildly exciting and I think that's what draws me to whether it's startups or scale-ups it's founders it's the actual people that I'm drawn to Mm -hmm. having the privilege of working with so many businesses um, and it's actually I think it's almost at 15,000 now how many we've worked with which is getting kind of crazy Um, but I've had the pleasure of seeing just the back end of so many businesses I really know what I like and what I don't like and Mm. I work with a lot of creatives and I've helped them help some of them build really big businesses and they're really ambitious but then your role really changes it changes from being the creative director to becoming a people manager Mm -hmm. Um, and so you know in knowing myself I'm very much you I think in the US you know you call it a personality type I call it a dominant personality type but I'm very much like a a kind of a lone ranger out there like I I like to be have a small and nimble company I don't like to feel weighed down by staff and overheads and expectations Mm. and business plans and those kind of things I want to be able to jump in my van and you know throw a surfboard in and go down the coast for a few days I I don't want to have to show up places. So just really knowing that about myself mm-hmm. allows me to really carve my own path and play to my strengths. And, you know, I think the 
businesses that are drawn to working with me really align with that kind of core value of freedom. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I'm always about keeping things lean. I also don't think that you need to have massive overheads to build a successful company. And when you kind of really drill into what the metrics of success are, for me, it is around that core value of freedom. Like, yes, I want to great make great money, but I also want to have the flexibility and the freedom to be nimble and quick. And like I said, jump in the van, head down the coast for the weekend. Mm -hmm. I want to do really impactful work with people that I really like. And they're my core metrics of success. That's what I'm always looking back to. So I don't need big fancy pants offices and (laughs) 50 people on the payroll to make that happen. I need really clever people to collaborate with me and work on my team that are really independent that I can trust to do their job and do it well without me micromanaging them. Um, Yeah. And we're able to build this kind of global company with this epic impact with low overheads, which works for all of us. Mm -hmm. How did you build the confidence to do your own thing, do business your way? I'm just curious about your your confidence in doing this and um, putting yourself out there. Yeah. Great question. Um, it really, it grew with time. And I, I remember when I first started working for myself, literally sitting at our kitchen table in our multiple rental properties <laughs> and staring out the window and just thinking like, what the fuck am I doing? Like, I don't know. Uh, and I was by myself. I was, I started working for myself. Like I said, when I moved back to Australia and I moved to Sydney and I didn't have any friends. Mm. Um, I didn't know anyone other than my new partner. God, no pressure there. So I had no one to talk to. I would go to these networking events that were absolutely terrible. And I think, is this what business is really like? Mm. Um, And then I kind of got coaches and mentors, but they had quite structured ways of working as well. And so it really did come with time, with practice, being hungry to learn Mm -hmm. and also just just constantly asking myself, how can this get even better? Like, how can this be done differently? How can this be done better? And, you know, having some really great, um, well, people that have become friends. I used to call them my mavericks. So there were specialists that I'd get to come in and work with my clients. Um, And one in particular, KJ, who's now my co-facilitator in Owners Collective, like would really challenge me on this stuff. Well, why does it have to be that way? Why does it have to be that way? And through Mm. that constant challenge, which is so confronting at the time. So, you know, when I'm sitting at that kitchen table with my sole laptop staring out the window and having someone actually say to me, like, it doesn't have to be like this. You're like, well, I don't know any different. Mm -hmm. So I think it's a combination of making that decision that I was never going to work for someone else. That was just not going to happen. Being persistent, like a Mm -hmm. dog with a bone kind of persistent, being hungry, being eager to learn, being willing to invest in myself as well uh, with coaches and mentors and in programs and just gradually piecing all of those things together. And then, you know, working, I think mindset, you know, the kind of work that you do, it's so like, that's, that's where the gold is. Like Mm -hmm. that's what you actually have to change to be successful and whatever that version of success is that it looks like for you. If you don't, you'd already be there. You know, if you, uh, if your mindset would allow it, like the mindset is the thing that you have to work on. So that was a big part of my journey too. Definitely. And okay. So this brings me to that. Tell us the story of you at an entrepreneur's conference (laughs) in Greece. You were there and you were asked this question and your response. 
Oh, yes. I mean, first of all, like pinch me right now at an entrepreneur's conference conference in Greece. Like what? Incredible. (laughs) This is like coming from a girl that grew up at one point in a town where I was the 13th kid at school. Like we didn't even have running water in the winter, you know, and what am I at an entrepreneur's conference in Greece? It's wild. It's crazy. Like this is exactly what we're talking about, right? Mm -hmm. Anything is possible. Right. So I remember I, I go there, I'm already feeling like an imposter for all the reasons. And I walk in and there's this kind of small group of people. I think there was like four of them sitting at a table they're like, oh, you're here for the the conference. I was like, yeah. And they're like, okay, well, you know, it starts tomorrow and we're just kind of like getting together now. And we thought, well, we're just going to share some ideas. So if you could teach entrepreneurs one thing that would make the biggest difference in their businesses, what would you teach them? I was like, okay, welcome to the party. (laughs) I was like, easy without flinching. I was like, I would teach people the shift from scarcity to abundance mindset that you change that, you shift that dial, you turn that dial, everything will change. And I stand by that to this day. I think that conference was probably five years ago. And I stand by that to this day. It is, that's, that's what you need to shift scarcity to abundance. And so scarcity, can you define scarcity and, and your, your experience with shifting your mindset? Mm, absolutely. So scarcity is this concept of never enough. I think that's the easiest mm-hmm. way that I can explain it. There's never enough. There's not enough to go around. Scarcity is a belief system, basically. Mm. It's never enough. There's not enough to go around. If that person has it, then I'm not going to have it. There's, you know, these kind of things, just like that there is, that there's not going to be enough for everyone. Um, this is a really, it's, I mean, I know scarcity well. Um, growing up, uh, I had a really, I had a really great childhood for most of, um, for, for all of my memories in my childhood. But my mom mm-hmm. really uh, fantasized about the depression. And so as we were kids in the 80s, she actually had us believe that we were growing up in the depression to the point where, like I said, mm-hmm. we were growing up in towns where I was the 13th kid at the school. The house we lived in was so cold, all the pipes would freeze, we wouldn't have any running water. And for fun, we would go and dig potatoes in the like yard next door. Like it was so she kind of brought us up with this real scarcity mindset and not necessarily to think that we were poor, but to really value what we had, I guess. Okay. So I really firmly grew up with this belief system that there was definitely not enough. There was not going to be enough to go around. I would never have enough to survive. Mm. And, you know, I think it got to a point in my twenties where I was really digging into the self-development work. Obviously I'd done psychology, but psychology was a bit different. Psychology was more around the professional practice of psychology rather than this kind of deep internal inquiry. Um, And Actually, when I moved to London, it was a big shift in my mindset around scarcity and abundance because one of the jobs I had that I mentioned earlier was I, it was like the Wolf of Wall Street. So mm-hmm. um, it was an investment bank and I was on the floor right next to traders who were trading $2 million, $10 million, $15 million up, down. And it was like this all day. And I was literally a meter away from them. I'm like, what, how is there even this much money in the world? I I, I had no idea. And so that really kind of set the ball rolling Mm -hmm. on this. And then, then it has been honestly uh, a process through then. I basically, I describe it like brainwashing myself. 
I knew that I wanted to have an abundance mindset. I knew what it was. I knew that I didn't have it. And so I read every book. I listened to every meditation. I I used to go to sleep listening to abundance mindset meditations. Mm -hmm. And you know, of course, abundance being that there's more than enough, that there's plenty to go around, that there'll always be more that, you know, we can never even use everything that we have. Um, And so, yeah, I basically brainwashed myself to believe in abundance and, you know, that's what it took. And it probably took, I'd say 10 years of good, Mm -hmm. solid, hard work on my Mm -hmm. mindset, consistent work to really shifting it to a place of my firm belief in this lifetime now is of abundance. And it's a much more settling grounded place to be. Definitely. And so 10 years of reprogramming, we'll call it. Mm -hmm. How did you, how did your outer world shift when, as you started to, to program? Yeah. Okay. So when I started doing this work was when I came back to Australia. So like I said, I had that realization when I was in London, shortly I came back to Australia. I mean, that was kind of within six months or something. And my first year back in Australia, I remember getting my tax return and that year I made Mm $12,000. So that's not very much money. Um, (laughs) I made $12,000. I lived with my boyfriend in a rented apartment, really shitty apartment, (laughs) lots of good times, but a really shitty apartment. You know, it was just like, it was, it was skint. If we're just, we're talking about the outside world, the inside Mm -hmm. world, I was feeling good. I was in love and this is all happening, but outside world was, it was skint. Um, And then through doing this work, I mean, everything shift. We bought, we bought our first home. We, oh goodness, we went on multiple trips. We then, when I really started to get into it, I was, I got really clear that I wanted to live here in Byron Bay and set myself on a trajectory to get here. Mm-hmm. Um, so moved to Byron Bay, my business, like I said, I went from $12,000 and I earn, you know, a nice, healthy, high six figures a year now, mm-hmm. basically working not by myself, but with my very small team. So all of that shifted. We bought our home here in Byron Bay. We bought a van. We travel regularly. So Mm -hmm. basically everything that I could want on an external level kind of manifested, created, came into being. Now, that being said, I was having this conversation with my partner earlier today. Like, I don't don't want a $10 million home. I don't want Mm -hmm. a... $300,000 car. That's not my taste. Um, but for where I am with what I want in this lifetime in terms of material possessions, then we're sitting pretty comfortably and that's a really humbling and super grateful place to be. Mm -hmm. So speaking of gratitude, is there any practices that you have or any mantras that you have around abundance and calling it in and also, um, that just keeps that, keeps the mindset where it is? Mm, yeah, like kind of maintenance period. Mm-hmm. I think when I was in the earlier stages, in the brainwashing stages, the conscious brainwashing stages, mm-hmm. I had a lot of, you know, mantras back then, you know, just things that I would say to myself, um, you know, things like clients come easily and effortless to me or, mm-hmm. you know, money, like those kind of things. For me now with my Vedic meditation, I think the real sweet spot that I hit with my Vedic meditation is where I feel super connected to everything around me. Mm. And it's through that connection piece that abundance just exists. And 
they kind of go hand in hand. They're almost the same thing. They might even be the same thing. Now I'm thinking about it consciously, but this connection to everything that is and the gratitude that's in that and knowing how much of everything, energy, life there is out there, that is my maintenance practice. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so when you're working with companies, so now you're mm-hmm. working with all of these early stage entrepreneurs, how much are you teaching this and how much of that is, do you see these limitations with people? I mean, how common is it for people to have a scarcity mindset? I don't know if I've come across anyone with an abundance mindset. Oh, that's untrue. Maybe like, maybe one or 2% would have an abundance mindset when they come on board. I think it's really, really common to have that scarcity Mm -hmm. mindset. And it's something, you know, I teach one program. I got one thing that I sell and I, I adore it. And throughout that program, this is everywhere. Mm. It's on day one, it's on day two, it's on day 57, it's on day 93. And we're digging into it. So, you know, when we're looking at, um, you know, when we're going into the financials component, we don't do financials before we do money mindset. Mm -hmm. So we dig into money and belief systems and then we teach financials. Same thing. If we're doing business planning, we're looking at it, what resistance there is to planning, where, where are the roadblocks? Why can't we set goals? Those kind of things. Then we do the planning. So we're always looking at this mindset component before we go into the actual doing of the work. And I think that that's, I mean, that's where we see the real results is this internal up level for the external results. So Mm -hmm. um, that's what we kind of, we say a lot in our program and yeah, so, so we teach it throughout everything we do and this is the high-end hustlers yeah that's my goal is to get there (laughs) one day it's really it's really awesome yeah it's a lot of fun the the people we have in there are really incredible and i mean we love the work and it's super impactful so Mm -hmm. um, yeah it's it's good fun what is your definition of a hustler (laughs) it's so funny you say that because we called it high-end hustlers it's a program that's been around for Uh, maybe six years now. And the irony is that people typically end up being the opposite of a hustler. Mm -hmm. So when you switch to that kind of abundance mindset, you can kind of, things start to flow a little bit more easier and you've got to do work. Don't get me wrong, but it doesn't come with a hustle kind of energy. Mm -hmm. That being said, like I like a bit of hard work, you know, I'm Mm -hmm. not afraid of the work. And I think that people shouldn't believe that they can bypass the work as well. So, you know, I think we're always looking at mindset, um, but not that that would uh, exist separately to actually getting the work done. Um, Mm -hmm. So yeah, the two go hand in hand for me. Okay. So hustler, yeah. Hardworking. I just keep picturing you hands in the dirt. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's like growing a garden, right? It's exactly the same. I mean, growing, growing anything. Mm -hmm. It's creating the right conditions and putting your time and your love and your energy and learning and, you know, cultivating those results. Same with anything. So when you wake up in the morning, what, what are some of the first thoughts that you have? Hmm. It depends what's going on, I have to say. So mm-hmm. uh, I run our company with really distinctive kind of flows to it. Mm-hmm. So we might be in a promotional period. We might be, and so that means, you know, we're, we're leading into a program. So we're, we're out there and, and hustling for it. 
Uh, we might be in a maintenance period, which means we're rolling our program. So we're, we're in our groove, we're doing the thing that we do, or we might be in a rest period. Um, and that just means like time off this two months that I've just had as a little mini sabbatical. Mm-hmm. And so when my, when I wake up, it kind of depends, it really depends on what, which one of those three stages we're in, what my thoughts are like. So okay. For the past two months, I wake up and like I'm thinking about going surfing, checking right. myself up, or I'm thinking <laughs> the wind is up, so I'm going to go for a run, or it's a really nice day to drink a cup of tea in the garden to wake up. So just purely like self-indulgent, <laughs> soul-filled activities. Uh, if we're in a promotion period like we are right now, then it's probably likely that I've been speaking to someone the night before or later. So I wake up thinking, oh, I've got to get back in touch with that person. I need to send that thing. This thing goes live today. Mm-hmm. So I can wake up thinking about work and I'm okay with that, to be honest, you know, like it happens for, you know, maybe six weeks a year. Like, cool. Okay. It means I can live the life I want. So I'm fine with that. And then if we're in the maintenance period, um, I don't know what I wake up thinking then just kind of calm. Good. Depends what's going on in life, I guess. Mm-hmm. One thing I have to say though, one practice that I do have to um, get me in the best mood for the day, I guess, and really to set intention. And I stole this off my friend, Krista Jane. Um, And that is that before I even open my eyes, I think, how do I want to feel today? Mm. You know, and that's, yeah, really different. Again, looking at those three phases that we might be in in the business. Mm -hmm. Um, How do I want to feel? maybe I just want to feel super grounded and relaxed today, or maybe I want to feel super like in service and helpful. And yeah. So I think that's a, that's a nice little hack at the start of the day. Yes, definitely. The sabbatical that you just took. So two months, I mean, what, what led up to that? Was there was this on the horizon and what it did yeah. for you? Mm. So it definitely wasn't on the horizon. It mm. snuck up on me and I'd been rolling our programs back to back for mm. about five years. Um, and literally, I mean, we'd finish one week and I would start a new program the next week. It's just kind of how it cycled and how it flowed. And there were six month programs. So two of them fitted in a year. I don't know. I just got myself into this weird kind of groove where I was running back to back programs and it had just become such a habit. And one afternoon, it was only about four months ago, I'd have to say, um, I was doing one of my walks in the afternoon, you know, just like (laughs) grounding out the day and washing it off, getting blown around by the seaside. And it just kind of dawned on me. I was like, I just don't have another program in me right now. Like, sure, I could start it and I could get it over the line, but it just didn't have the excitement that it normally has. Mm. Um, And yeah, just sat down and again, just stilled my mind and like straight away, I just heard, you know, you, and when I say heard, I didn't hear voices. That's not Mm -hmm. how I hear things. It's just like that inner knowing of like, you just need a break. You just need a rest, you need a holiday. Mm -hmm. And so I literally just actioned it the next day. We had a team meeting and Mm -hmm. I said to the team, like, I need to have a few months off. And I actually said to them, I need a sabbatical. And I've been saying that for a little while, like kind of throwing it out there every now and again, but 12 months off, that's actually not what I wanted. I didn't want a big Mm. chunk of time off. And when I kept kind of drilling it back to what actually feels good so that the business still maintains momentum, I get the break that I need. I come back recharged, the team gets a rest and that kind of landed on a two month, a two month space. So it's kind of, it's almost three months, except I'm on like half time now. So 
but mm-hmm. I would say two months definitely off and it's been wonderful. Like it's just been, it's so nice and it's, I mean, it's been amazing for my health to mm-hmm. be honest, like yeah. my physical health, my mental health, my spiritual health, the health of my family, health with my friends. And it's just really, I mean, to be super cliche about it, but it's just really refilled my cup. Mm-hmm. And now I just feel ready. Like we've got a program coming up in three weeks and I just feel super ready to go. You know, the right mm-hmm. people are coming on board. I'm getting super jazzed about it. Um, but at the same time, I have simultaneously kept a really grounded foot on the ground. Mm-hmm. So I'm staying in the garden. I'm still gardening <laughs> and just having some better balance about things. And I think had I not had that break, I would be missing that balance, but it's kind of like, you know, things sort of auto corrected in that break. Mm-hmm. It's so mm-hmm. good. Allowing yourself to, to take that time after, well, have you ever taken chunks of time off or are you incorporating your lifestyle to have not a complete balance sounds like, but have you weaved it in throughout this whole time or have you been quite like on the overload of work? I've always done a lot of work, to be honest, mm-hmm. um, sometimes too much, but that mm-hmm. was probably in the earlier years when, you know, I really was hustling pretty hard. Um, I've been able to incorporate my lifestyle with the work pretty easily for the past few years. So, you know, I'm going to say past few years, probably like past four or five years. So, mm-hmm. you know, we're talking about like I, I traveled to Portugal a few years ago and um, I think that was actually off the back of that Mykonos trip. Maybe, well, maybe it was a different trip. I'm not sure, but, <laughs> but I'm always working on the road. So okay. I very much incorporated the two, but there hasn't ever been that real switch off period. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's what was different about this. And of course, because it was COVID, we couldn't go anywhere. So it really was total downtime. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you're not going to do any work and you're not going to go anywhere. <laughs> so it was, that made it super, super restful. So many people I think need to hear that and that it's okay to take time and your yeah, business well, flourished, right? Little, um, yeah. The kicker is, is that this is going to be our biggest program ever that were coming off like it was when I came back from my two months off like our program was nearly full um I was like wow "Wow, I I need to take more time off more often (laughs) if this is what happens I just got to go away and the programs fill themselves so Mm -hmm. yeah again super grateful that that happened and um it was an eye-opener for me absolutely Mm -hmm. so what's next oh well I mean, next we've got, but also I'm kind of back in the podcasting seat. So, you know, mm-hmm. I, uh, Owners Collective Podcast is, is still rolling at the moment. Just released an episode earlier. T- I recorded an episode earlier today and released mm. an episode earlier today. Um, but also in October, we will be kicking off One Wild Bride again. And we've got some really big global brands um, coming on board for that at the moment. So that's super exciting. And meanwhile, I'm just like, I'm sitting here staring at my nine foot three longboard and <laughs> I'm just going to go and continue to surf terribly here in Byron Bay yeah. and <laughs> have a lot of fun with that and, you know, do lots of long runs and bike rides and things like that. So yeah, I think it's just, it's a really nice balance. We're coming into summer mm-hmm. uh, over here and right. I mean, goodness, where else would I rather be than Byron Bay, Australia in the summer? I don't Yeah. It just sounds magical. 
It is. I have Definitely. to agree. And I'm sure you're not a bad surfer. I say that too. I'm always a beginner or a lifetime beginner, but. Uh, I'm, I'm a pretty beginner. But you know what I love about it? It's, it's that I'm learning something completely new. And again, mm. I'm just experimenting with it. And I love, you know, in my business life, you know, I'm, I'm known for what I do and there's an expectation around what I do and the way that we transform companies. Mm-hmm. And so I get to be the opposite of that. When I surf, I get to go out and be right. a total Gumby and to fall over and be the oldest person in the whitewash and to be totally okay with that. Like it's so humbling and it's so fun. Mm-hmm. Like there's just no expectation for me to be good at anything. So I don't know. I kind of love being terrible at it. <laughs> yeah. That I think you nailed it taking the, well, it's a different identity in a way, you know, so you can just, yeah, you don't have to have it all figured out. Totally. Just total beginner's mind, right? Mm -hmm. And really quick, the experiment, you've said that a few times and I, I love that you go for something as an experiment. Mm -hmm. I don't know how it came into my mind. There was a few, uh, quite a while ago now, but I just think we place so much expectation on ourselves, and Mm -hmm. expectation is just the thief of joy. It really is. And, you know, through all the Buddhist teachings and many teachings around the world, I mean, you know, releasing attachment is such an important part of the process of experiencing joy. So if we go into something with this kind of beginner's mindset or, you know, classifying it as an experiment in my mind, it it just takes the pressure off. Mm -hmm. And when you release this attachment, expectation, the pressure, you can just truly experience something for what it is. And whether you're terrible at it, whether you're great at it, whether you love it, whether you hate it, it kind of becomes inconsequential. You know, you just, you get to experience that and you keep it or you leave it. And then you can take away any kind of assigning of winning or losing or completing or failing any of that because you were just experimenting to start with. So I think it's just, it's, you know, another way, I guess, of saying a beginner's mindset, but I think it's just Mm -hmm. a really nice little hack of the mind to allow yourself permission to try a whole bunch of new things without expectation. Yes. Love it. Hmm. it's huge take the pressure off and you never know again like you said you just it's the unknown where there's possibilities absolutely you got it so you are living the dream (laughs) for sure and enjoying the process absolutely yes so inspirational and how can people find you um i'll include you know all your instagram handles and definitely i highly recommend both of your podcasts you're so great on on the podcast. Oh, you're too kind. Thank you. All the, all the words, all the places. I feel like I'm everywhere at the moment. It's like I was in this little hideaway bubble and now <laughs> you can get me anywhere. The website, the socials, <laughs> the podcast, probably the place where I'm hanging out the most at the moment. Mm-hmm. Oh, not the most, but where it's easiest to get a hold of me is probably the one wild ride Instagram. So that's just okay. at one wild ride underscore. And that's kind of where I'm chatting with people a little bit there. Although don't expect a quick response because oh yeah I don't know hopefully I'm surfing exactly (laughs) doing something fun thanks again yeah thank you so much for having me thanks so much for listening to this episode I truly believe you owe it to yourself to be courageous and unapologetic about what you really want in this life 
Make sure to subscribe where you listen to your podcasts so you never miss an episode. And hey, if you want to share your story or just say hi, go ahead and find me on Instagram at whereiswillow. I would love to hear from you. Cheers to carving your own fucking path.